Chapter Twenty Two of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume One by Eugène Sue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two, History of David and Cecily. Mister Willis, a rich American planter settled in Florida, said Murphy, had discovered in one of his young black slaves named David, who was employed in the infirmary attached to his dwelling, a very remarkable degree of intelligence combined with a constant and deep commiseration for the sick poor to whom he gave with the utmost attention and care the medicine ordered by the doctors and moreover so strong a prepossession for the study of botany as applied to medicine that without any tuition he had composed and classified a sort of flora of the plants around the dwelling and the vicinity the establishment of mr willis situated on the borders of the sea was fifteen or twenty leagues from the nearest town and the medical men of the district ignorant as they were gave themselves no great deal of care or trouble in consequence at the long distance and the difficulty in procuring any means of conveyance desirous of remedying so extreme an inconvenience in a country subject to violent epidemics and to have at hand at all times a skilful practitioner the colonist made up his mind to send david to france to learn surgery and medicine enchanted at this offer the young black set out for paris and the planter paid all the expenses of his course of study david having for eight years studied with great diligence and remarkable effect received the degree of surgeon and physician with the most distinguished success and then returned to america to place himself and his skill under the direction of his master but david ought to have considered himself free and emancipated in fact and in law when he set foot in france david's loyalty is very rare he had promised mr willis to return and he did so he did not consider as his own the instruction which he had acquired with his master's money and besides he hoped to improve morally as well as physically the sufferings of the slaves his former companions he trusted to become not only their doctor but their firm friend and defender with the colonist he must indeed be imbued with the most unflinching probity and the most intense love for his fellow-creatures to return to a master an owner after having spent eight years in the midst of the society of the most democratic young men in europe judge of the man by this one trait well he returned to florida and truth to tell was used by mr willis with consideration and kindness eating at his table sleeping under his roof but this colonist was as stupid malevolent selfish and despotic as most creoles are and he thought himself very generous in giving david six hundred francs twenty-four livres a year salary at the end of some months a terrible typhus fever broke out in the plantation mr willis was attacked by it but soon restored through the careful attentions and efficacious remedies of david out of thirty negroes dangerously affected by this fatal disease only two perished mr willis much gratified by the services which david had so auspiciously rendered raised his wages to twelve hundred francs to the extreme gratification of the black doctor whose fellows regarded him as a divinity amongst them for he had with much difficulty it is true obtained from their master some few indulgences and was hoping to procure still more in the meanwhile he consoled these poor people and exhorted them to patience spake to them of god who watches over the black and the white man with an equal eye of another world not peopled with masters and slaves but with the just and the unjust of another life in eternity where man was no longer the beast of burden the property the thing of his fellow-man but were the victims of this world so happy that they prayed in heaven for their tormentors 
what shall i tell you more to those unhappy wretches who contrary to other men count with bitter joy the hours which bring them nearer to the tomb to those unfortunate creatures who looked forward only to nothingness hereafter david breathed the language and the hope of a free and happy immortality and then their chains appeared less heavy and their toil less irksome he was their idol a year passed away in this manner amongst the handsomest of the female slaves of the house was a metis about fifteen years of age named cecily and for this poor girl mr willis took a fancy for the first time in his life his advances were repulsed and obstinately resisted cecily was in love and with david who during the late fearful distemper had attended her with the most vigilant care afterwards a deep and mutual love repaid him the debt of gratitude david's taste was too refined to allow him to boast of his happiness before the time when he should marry cecily which was to be when she had turned her sixteenth year mr willis ignorant of their love had thrown his handkerchief right royally at the pretty metis and she in deep despair sought david and told him all the brutal attempts that she had been subjected to and with difficulty escaped the black comforted her and instantly went to mr willis to request her hand in marriage diable my dear murphy i can easily surmise the answer of the american sultan he refused he did he said he had an inclination for the girl himself that in his life before he had never experienced the repulse of a slave he meant to possess her and he would david might choose another wife or mistress whichsoever might best suit his inclination there were in the plantation ten capus or metis as pretty as cecily david talked of his love love so long and tenderly shared and the planter shrugged his shoulders david urged but it was all in vain the creole had the cool impudence to tell him that it was a bad example to see a master concede to a slave and that he would not set that example to satisfy a caprice of david's he entreated supplicated and his master lost his temper david blushing to humiliate himself further spake in a firm tone of his services and disinterestedness that he had been contented with a very slender salary mr willis was desperately enraged and telling him he was a contumacious slave threatened him with the chain david replied with a few bitter and violent words and two hours afterwards bound to a stake his skin was torn with the lash whilst they bore cecily to the harem of the planter in his sight the conduct of the planter was brutal and horrible it was adding absurdity to cruelty for he must after that have required the man's services precisely so for that very day the very fury into which he had worked himself joined to the drunkenness in which the brood indulged every evening brought on an inflammatory attack of the most dangerous description the symptoms of which appeared with the rapidity peculiar to such affectations the planter was carried to his bed in a state of the highest fever he sent off an express for a doctor but he could not reach his abode in less than six-and-thirty hours really this attack seems providential the desperate condition of the man was quite deserved by him the malady made fearful strides david only could save the colonist but willis distrustful as all evil-doers are imagined that the black would revenge himself by administering poison for after having scourged him with a rod he had thrown him into prison at last horrified at the progress of his illness broken down by bodily anguish 
and thinking that as death also stared him in the face he had one chance left in trusting to the generosity of his slave after many distrusting doubts willis ordered david to be unchained and david saved the planter for five days and five nights he watched and tended him as if he had been his father counteracting the disease step by step with great skill and perfect knowledge until at last he succeeded in defeating it to the extreme surprise of the doctor who had been sent for and who did not arrive until the second day and when restored to health at last the colonist not desiring to blush before his own slave whose presence constantly oppressed him with the recollection of his excessive nobleness of conduct the colonist made an enormous sacrifice to attach the doctor he had sent for to his establishment and david was again conducted to his dungeon horrible but by no means astonishing david must have been in the eyes of his brutal master a complete living remorse such conduct was dictated alike by revenge and jealousy the blacks of mr willis loved david with all the warmth of gratitude for he had saved them body and soul they knew the care he had bestowed on him when he lay tossing with fever between life and death and shaking off the deadening apathy which ordinarily besets slavery these unfortunate creatures evinced their indignation or rather grief most powerfully when they saw david lacerated by the whip mr willis deeply exasperated affected to discover in this manifestation the appearance of revolt and when he considered the influence which david had acquired over the slaves he believed him capable of placing himself at the head of a rebellion to avenge himself of his wrongs this fear was another motive with the colonist for using david in the most shameful manner and entirely preventing him from effecting the malicious designs of which he suspected him considering him as actuated by an irrepressible amount of terror this conduct seems less stupid but quite as ferocious a short time after these events we arrived in america monseigneur had freighted a danish brig at st thomas's and we visited incognito all the settlements of the american coast along which we were sailing we were most hospitably received by mr willis who the evening after our arrival after he had been drinking and as much from the excitement of wine as from a desire to boast told us in a horrid tone of brutal jesting the history of david and sicily i forgot to say that after having maltreated the girl he had thrown her into a dungeon also as a punishment for her disdain of him his royal highness on hearing willis's fearful narration thought the man was either drunk or a liar but he was drunk it was no lie to remove any and all doubt the colonist rose from the table and desired a slave to bear a lantern and conduct us to david's cell well what followed in my life i never saw so distressing a spectacle pale wan meagre half-naked and covered with wounds david and the unhappy girl chained by the middle of the body one at one end and the other at the other end of the dungeon looked like spectres the lantern that lighted us threw over this scene a still more ghastly hue david did not utter a word when he saw us his gaze was fixed and fearful the colonist said to him with cruel irony well doctor how goes it you who are so clever why don't you cure yourself the black replied by a noble word and a dignified gesture he raised his right hand slowly his forefinger pointed to the roof and without looking at the colonist said in a solemn tone god and then was silent god replied the planter bursting into a loud fit of laughter tell him then 
tell god to come and snatch you from my power i defy him then willis overcome by fury and intoxication shook his fist to heaven and said in blasphemous language yes i defy god to carry off my slaves before they are dead the man was mad as well as brutal we were utterly disgusted monseigneur did not say a word and we left the cell this dungeon was situated as well as the house on the seashore we returned to our brig which was moored a short distance off and at one o'clock in the morning when all the building were plunged in profound sleep monseigneur went on shore with eight men well armed and going straight to the prison burst open the doors and freed david and sicily the two victims were carried on board so quietly that they were not perceived and then monseigneur and i went to the planter's house strange contrast these men torture their slaves and yet do not take any precaution against them but sleep with doors and windows open we easily got access to the sleeping room of the planter which was lighted on the inside by a small glass lamp monseigneur awakened the man who sat upright in his bed his brain still disturbed by the effect of his drunkenness you have to-night defied god to carry off your two victims before their death and he has taken them said monseigneur then taking a bag which i carried and which contained twenty-five thousand francs in gold he threw it on the fellow's bed and added this will indemnify you for the loss of your two slaves to your violence that destroys i oppose a violence that saves god will judge between us we then retreated leaving mr willis stupefied motionless and believing himself under the influence of a dream a few minutes later we were again on board the brig which instantly set sail it appears to me my dear murphy that his royal highness overpaid this wretch for the loss of his slaves for in fact david no longer belonged to him we calculated as nearly as we could the expense which his studies had cost for eight years and then the price thrice over of himself and cecilia's slaves our conduct was contrary to the rights of property i know but if you had seen in what a horrible state we found this unfortunate and half-dead couple if you had heard the sacrilegious defiance almost cast in the face of the almighty by this man drunk with wine and ferocity you would comprehend how monseigneur desired as he said on this occasion to act as if it were in behalf of providence all this is as assailable and as justifiable as the punishment of the schoolmaster my worthy squire and had not this adventure any consequences it could not the brig was under danish colours the incognito of his royal highness was closely kept we were taken for rich englishmen to whom could willis have addressed his complaints if he had any to make in fact he had told us himself and the medical man of monseigneur declared it in a procès verbal that the two slaves could not have lived eight days longer in this frightful dungeon it required the greatest possible care to snatch david and cecily from almost certain death at last they were restored to life from this period david has been attached to the suite of monseigneur as a medical man and is most devotedly attached to him david married cecily of course on arriving in europe this marriage which ought to have been followed by results so happy took place in the chapel of the palace of monseigneur but by a most extraordinary vulsion of conduct hardly was she in the full enjoyment of an unhoped-for position when forgetting all that david had suffered for her and what she had suffered for him blushing in the new world to be wedded to a black cecily seduced by a man of most depraved morals committed her first fault 
it would seem as though the natural perversity of this abandoned woman having till then slumbered was suddenly awakened and developed itself with fearful energy you know the rest and all the scandal of the adventures that followed after having been two years a wife david whose confidence in her was only equalled by his love learned the full extent of her infamy a thunderbolt aroused him from his blind security they say he tried to kill his wife yes but through the interference of monseigneur he consented to allow her to be immured for life in a prison and it is thence that monseigneur now seeks to have her released to your great astonishment as well as mine my dear baron but it is growing late and his royal highness is anxious that your courier should start for gerolstein with as little delay as possible in two hours time he shall be on the road so now my dear murphy farewell till the evening till the evening adieu have you then forgotten that there is a grand ball at the embassy and that his royal highness will be present true i have always forgotten that since the absence of colonel verner and the count d'arnheim i have the honour to fulfil the functions of chamberlain and aide-de-camp ah a propos of the count and the colonel when may we expect their return will they have soon completed their respective missions you know that monseigneur will keep them away as long as possible that he may enjoy more solitude and liberty as to the errand on which his royal highness has employed each of them as an ostensible motive for getting rid of them in a quiet way sending one to avignon and the other to strasbourg i will tell you all about it some day when we are both in a dull mood for i will defy the most hypochondriacal person in existence not to burst with laughter at the narrative as well as with certain passages in the despatches of these worthy gentlemen who have assumed their pretended missions with so serious an air to tell the truth i have never clearly understood why his royal highness attached the colonel and the count to his private person why my dear fellow is not colonel verner the accurate type of military perfection is there in the whole germanic confederation a more elegant figure more flourishing and splendid moustaches and a more complete military figure and when he is fully decorated screwed in uniformed gold-laced plumed etc etc it is impossible to see a more glorious self-satisfied proud handsome animal true but it is his very good looks that prevent him from having the appearance of a man of refined and acute intellect well and monseigneur says that thanks to the colonel he is in the habit of finding even the dullest people in the world bearable before certain audiences which are of necessity he shuts himself up with the colonel for a half-hour or so and then leaves him full of spirits and light as air quite ready to meet bores and defy them just as the roman soldier who before a forced march used to sole his sandals with lead and so found all fatigue light by leaving them off i now discover the usefulness of the colonel but the count d'arnheim is also very serviceable to our dear lord for always hearing at his side the tinkling of his old cracked bell shining and chattering continually seeing this soap bubble so puffed up with nothingness so magnificently variegated and as such portraying the theatrical and puerile phase of sovereign power his royal highness feels the more sensibly the vanity of those barren pomps and glories of the world and by contrast has often derived the most serious and happy ideas from the contemplation of his useless and pattering chamberlain well well but let us be just my dear murphy tell me in what court in the world would you find a more perfect model of a chamberlain who knows better than dear old darnheim the numberless rules and strict observances of etiquette 
who bears with more becoming demeanour an enamelled cross around his neck or more majestically comports himself when the keys of office are suspended from his shoulders apropos baron monseigneur declares that the shoulders of a chamberlain have a peculiar physiognomy that is he says an appearance at once constrained and repulsive which it is painful to look at for alas and alack a day it is at the back of a chamberlain that the symbol of his office glitters and as monseigneur avers the worthy darnheim always seems tempted to present himself backwards that his importance may at once be seen felt and acknowledged the fact is that the incessant subject of the count's meditations is to ascertain by what fatal imagination and direction the chamberlain's key has been placed behind the chamberlain's back for it is related of him that he said with his accustomed good sense and with a kind of bitter grief what the devil one does not open a door with one's back at all events baron the courier the courier said murphy pointing to the clock sad old reprobate to make me chatter thus it is your fault present my respects to his royal highness said Monsieur de graun taking up his hat in haste and now adieu till the evening my dear murphy till the evening my dear baron fare thee well it will be late before we meet for i am sure that monseigneur will go this very day to pay a visit to the mysterious house in the rue du temple End of chapter twenty two